He says, I am the way. And so we're going to look at a statement this morning that, that I absolutely love. It's, yeah, it's probably my favorite statement of, of the seven. Um, and the reason it's my favorite statement is because Jesus is talking about life. He's talking about life. And, and we're here this morning, and who among us does not want life? Who does not want fullness? Who does not want to be fully engaged in life? To be fully used of God, to be fully known by God, to fully know God. And so what we're talking about here this morning is this incredible statement in John chapter 6, and I'm going to invite you to turn your Bibles there, and we're going to look at the entire first part of that chapter because it all fits together. I mean, sometimes it seems like these stories are a little bit random and you got this feeding of the 5,000 over here and you got the walking on the sea and the walking on the water over here. And then you got this little dialogue that Jesus has comes along and he's talking to these people about the bread of life. And, you know, it doesn't seem like it really all comes together. But in reality, God's, God's weaving this together. It's a tapestry that all fits. And we've got, we've got to see what happened the day before to understand what's going on uh, in our passage this morning. So I'm going to invite you, if you would, please stand with me. I was like, I think it's good when we're reading God's Word. We're just going to stand together, and we're going to look at uh, John chapter 6, and we're going to begin in the 22nd verse, and I'm going to cut it off at the 35th verse because we could go all day on this passage. But John chapter 6, verse 22 through 35, On the next day the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples but, the, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. You've got to hang on to that word, seeking. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. He's talking about life here, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. And then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. And the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life, gives life to the world. And they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Let's pray. 
So, Father, we come to you. We come to you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You who sent him to us. You who gave us him, the bread of life. Lord, we come to you this morning and and we present ourselves to you and we lift up your name and we just ask that your presence here would be manifest in new and fresh ways and that, Lord, you would draw us closer to yourself, that we would walk in greater communion with you and that we would experience greater life through you. We bless you now, Lord Jesus. We sing your praises. We lift up your name. For you are life. And it's in that name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. So, got to get the background in here just a little bit. First part of chapter 6. First uh, uh, 15 verses or so. Jesus, he's out in the countryside. There's this crowd of people that come. Uh, There's at least 5,000 men, so there's more men and women and children. So we're talking maybe 10, 15, maybe even 20,000 people are gathered around on on the countryside. And this is the day before our passage. This is the day before the passage that I just read. And they're all out there, and Jesus has compassion on them. He sees that they need to be fed. They need to be taken care of. And so we have the great story, the great encounter, the great epic story of of Jesus feeding 5,000 people. He just takes a few loaves of bread, a few fish, and he multiplies it. And he gives them life, and he feeds them, and he sustains them, and he he meets their need. Later in the day, the day before, it's evening now. Jesus has, has gone away. This is verses 16 through 21. Jesus has gone away. Evening come. His disciples, they go down to the sea. They get into the boat, and, and they start across the sea to Capernaum. This is the Sea of Galilee, and they're going across the sea to Capernaum. Jesus, he stays behind. It gets dark. Now he decides that he's going to go catch up. And we have this incredible story of the sea becoming rough. There's strong winds that are blowing. Uh, the, the disciples, they're, they're rowing, and, and they're trying to get across the sea. And here comes Jesus out for an evening stroll. On the water! On the water! Now, it's important for us to keep these things in mind. Because we would say the feeding of the 5,000, we have a word for that. It's called a what? A miracle. And, and you and I, we would look at somebody who could walk on water, and we would say that is what? A, a miracle. It's miraculous. I mean, can you imagine? We're just going to go trucking across the, the river. Only we don't use the Golden Ears Bridge. We just walk on water, and we cross to the other side. So you've got these two uh, encounters, these two miracles that take place the day before. And that brings us to our passage. 
Verse 22, it's important to notice this. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but his disciples had gone away alone. So they recognized Jesus' disciples left in the boat, the one and the only boat that was there. Jesus didn't go with him. Verse 23, then we read, other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So other people People are coming around. They've heard. This is important to note here. They have heard what took place yesterday. This great miracle took place yesterday where all these people were fed. People are coming. Things happen. People come. So this is what's happening. Verse 24, so when the crowd saw, they recognize, they see, they realize Jesus wasn't with the disciples when the disciples left yesterday, when they saw that Jesus was not there. Now he's not on our side of the river. He's not on our side of the lake. He's not on our side of the water. He didn't go with the disciples yesterday when they left. Where is Jesus? So when they saw, the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, everybody's gone. They themselves get into the boats, and they go to Capernaum seeking, there's that word, seeking Jesus. They're looking for something. They're hungry for something. Yeah, they're hungry for more food, but there's an internal desire, an internal longing. They're looking for something that they're they're, they're seeking and, and wanting and desiring. Verse 24 tells us then, so when the crowd saw this, they go seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side, they get to the other side, and they find him over there near Capernaum. They find him on the other side. They ask Jesus a question. Now, they're going to ask Jesus a few questions in this passage. And they're just trying to get some answers, and they're trying to figure some stuff out for themselves. They're trying to figure out just exactly who Jesus is. And so they ask them, ask him some some questions. First question out of the out of the bat, verse twenty five. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Now I'm going to submit to you, they're missing the big picture. They're they're not grasping the big picture. When did you come here? Wouldn't a better question be, how in the world did you get over here? How did you get from there to here? We saw your disciples. They left in the boat. You didn't leave. How did you get from this side to that side without a boat? So so they recognize that something's happened. They're recognizing that there is this thing that has taken place. They don't know it. They don't understand it. They can't quite comprehend it, but they see that something has taken place. And so they ask him this question, Rabbi, when did you get here? Who cares when Jesus got there? (laughs) The real question that I want, how did he get there? Well, we know how. John records it for us. They're trying to figure all of this stuff out. Verse 26, notice what Jesus does, though. Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me. There they go again. He's acknowledging their hunger. He's acknowledging their desire. You are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Catch this. 
you're seeking me not because you saw signs. What are the signs that they saw? Feeding 5,000 people, 5,000 plus people, that's a good sign. They recognize that something's happened with this whole getting from one side of the lake to the other, one side of the sea to the other. They're probably aware that there was somewhat of a little storm that brewed up and that the wind whipped up and that the seas were rough the day before. So they're understanding that something has happened. They're seeing signs. I think that's important, and I'll show you out why in just a moment. Jesus, though, he looks in and he sees their heart, and he knows their heart. And he knows this is a group of people. They're hungry for something. I'm going to submit to you, they don't even know what they're hungry for. They don't even know what they're hungry for. They're longing for something that they recognize they don't have, that's missing in their life. And they're going to Jesus. Jesus, can you fulfill this longing? How many of us are like this crowd? How many of us are, are looking at our lives and, and we're longing for something that, man, there's just that something that's not quite there, something that's missing that I'm hungry and, and I'm thirsty for. We go seeking for things. We go looking for things. We go trying to fulfill ourselves. But we end up so often left hungry and empty. Because what we're looking for isn't found in the things that we're looking for in. Jesus, he invites us to come. And we're going to see this in a minute. He says, he says come. And he's going to tell the crowds in just a moment, I'm the one that's going to satisfy you. I'm the one that is going to ease your hunger. I'm the one that will quench your thirst. What are you looking for in your life that really doesn't satisfy? What are you looking for other than Jesus? The crowds come seeking Jesus. I think sometimes, too, and, and I think the crowd here is, is maybe uh, a, a little bit like this. Um, they look at Jesus, and, and they see in Jesus what they want to see in Jesus, and not maybe necessarily who he reveals himself to be, who he really is. Sometimes I think that we want Jesus to be who we think he should be. We want him to fit our agenda rather than maybe the other way around where we fit his agenda. We want him to be who he is, but who we think he should be, not who he claimed to be, not the one who he shows himself to be. We, we don't get to pick and choose with Jesus. He either is Everything that he says he is when he declares, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection. I am the good shepherd. I am the door. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the bread of life. He either is that or he isn't. See, we, we don't get to just pick and choose and say, well, you know, I like the fact that he's the bread of life. I like the fact that he is the good shepherd. 
But this whole idea that he is the way, the truth, the life, that's kind of exclusive. And we don't live in an exclusive day and age. We live in a very inclusive day and age. So Jesus comes along and he's making some radical claims and we don't get to pick and choose who Jesus is. We can only respond to or reject what he says about himself. There's a great line in the book, C.S. Lewis' book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. You're probably familiar with it. You know the story. These young kids, they go into this mystical land, and and they're exploring in this land, and and they meet these incredible creatures, and there's one little girl. Her name's Lucy, and she actually is kind of the one that's leading her older brothers and sister, uh, and they're exploring this land, and they run across these creatures, and one of the creatures is Mr. Tumless. And they've met Aslan, and Aslan is the Christ figure, the Messiah, the Savior. He's Jesus in the story. He's the great lion, sacrifices his life. Mr. Tumless and Lucy are having a conversation, and Mr. Tumless says to Lucy about Aslan, he's not tame. And Lucy responds by saying, yeah, but, but he is good. He is good. How many of us want to tame Jesus? We want to be able to put Jesus in in our box. And Jesus doesn't allow us to do that. Jesus is Savior, but he's also Lord. He's the one who lifts us up and, and gives us life. He's not the genie in the bottle that we could just, just get to bring out every time that we have a wish or a demand. Jesus is good Savior, but he's not tame. So, we're having this conversation. When did you get here? Jesus says, do not work. He says in verse 25, or verse 26, you're seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. And then verse 27, he says this, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. So, there is food that will lead to eternal life, which he will give to us, and he is telling you and me, work for it. Strive for it. Apply yourself to it. And and he's looking for us, and he's inviting us to life, and he's calling us to life, and the way to life is to believe, to work for the things that are of God. In essence, what Jesus is saying here and what he's revealing to you and me is you're settling. And how many of us do that? We settle for the things that do not really give life. We want God, like the crowd in this account, uh, this account to satisfy our desires, but we're focused on the temporal things. We're focused on the things that are here and now. We're only focused on what will make us feel good at this moment, and we're missing out. And here's, here's what I think is so important for us to realize. We're missing out on life and what God wants to do and what God is doing and how he is working. 
and how he is giving us life. So he invites them. Work for the food that, the, the food that does not perish, for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. Jesus was forever exhorting his followers to do this. He's forever exhorting his followers to something more, to something deeper, and to something richer. Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34, Jesus followed, told his followers what? Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or drink, about your body, what you'll wear. Don't be anxious about that. Those are all important things. He's not dismissing them. We need to be worried about the, well, no, he said don't be anxious about them. We, we do need those things. They are important. But Jesus says this, he says, seek first, what? The kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. See what the, see the difference? What are you seeking after? What are you striving after? What are you running for? What are you working so hard for? Jesus invites you to something deeper where he invites you to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and these things, they are added to you. Don't work for food that perishes, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. That leads us to verse 28. Then they said to him, here's another question. What must we do to be doing the work of God? That's a legitimate question. He's just told them to work, okay, or to seek, to look for, work for the food that endures to eternal life. They change it around a little bit. They don't ask necessarily about the food that leads to eternal life. They ask what the work of God is. But still, I think it's a legitimate question. They're inquiring. Help us understand. You're talking about food that leads to eternal life. Well, what is the work that we need to be doing? What is this work that we should be applying ourselves to? Jesus then says in verse 29, This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. See, Jesus understands something, and he reveals it to us a little bit later in verse 36. Verse 36, he says this, But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. Their problem here is disbelief. Their problem, their sin here, is lack of belief. Jesus understands this. Jesus recognizes this fact. What must we be doing to do the works of God? This is the work of God. Believe. Believe. In essence, the crowd has asked Jesus, what do we need to be doing that God requires of us? And Jesus answers, believe. Believe in him whom God has sent. That's what's required for salvation. The Apostle Paul wrote it this way, Romans chapter 10, verse 9, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. What's required for salvation? What's required for life? What's required for life now? What's required for life in eternity? It is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. I think there's a misconception in our world today about belief. I think there are a lot of people who think belief is something that just happens. It's kind of like osmosis. 
Let me suggest to you that belief is work. And it's not like this is some trick of the translation from the Greek to the English. Jesus actually uses the word in the Greek for work, for labor. You go and look up the definition, and it's the word labor. You have to apply yourself to growing in faith, walking in the ways of the Lord, standing firm in faith, putting on the armor of God, keeping watch over ourselves lest we're tempted, sowing and reaping. This is the work of faith. This is the work of believing. It's coming to Jesus, and it's receiving life that he gives, and it's believing that he is who he says that he is. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection. I am the good shepherd. I am the door. I am the bread of life. Now, I understand faith is a gift of God. Sanctification is that process of growing to be more like Jesus. It is a gift of God, but don't ignore the gift. Don't ignore the gift. Don't take the gift for granted. Don't take the gift of faith for granted. Don't be lazy with it. Apply the gift of faith into your lives. Recognize the gift of faith for what it is. And as Paul said in Colossians, he says, continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. Do the work of faith. Do the work of believing. I was sitting here early just before the service was starting, and there's the slides that are up there, and they're scrolling through, and I'm watching the slides, and I noticed that on, like, I think it's the September 23rd, 24th, you have the Hearing God seminar coming up. Those are the right dates, Brian? Okay. That's a great thing to go do in terms of growing and doing the work of faith. Learn to hear the voice of God. God's alive. He's active. He's working. His word's alive. It's speaking to us. He wants to speak to you. He wants to lead you. He wants to guide you. He wants to take you deeper in his relationship with you. Do the work of faith. Do the work of faith. Verse 29, Jesus said, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Verse 30, So they said to them, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? They want to believe. I believe they want to believe. But they want a sign. They want a sign. What's the problem with their wanting a sign? He's already given them two signs in the last 24 hours. What else do you want him to do? What else can the guy do for you? Walking on water is not good enough. Feeding 10,000, 15,000 people isn't good enough. They're seeking God. They're asking spiritual questions. They're looking for enlightenment. They want significance and meaning in their lives, but they want a sign. They want a sign. What sign do you want that you may believe? What sign do you want that you may believe? Earlier in John's account, the gospel here, John records numerous occasions, numerous times where Jesus healed people, where he taught people, he ministered to people. But here the crowd still refuses to believe. I think in our world today, we're kind of like these people in the secular world 
We're kind of like these people. They're people that are fine talking about Jesus. They're not Christians, but they like Jesus, the man. They're good talking about Jesus, the teacher. They'll, they'll even listen when we talk about Jesus and his moral authority. But you talk about the exclusivity of Jesus, and no one wants to hear this. Talk about the fact that no one comes to God except through Jesus, that he is the only way to God, and people will think that you're narrow-minded and bigoted. Talk about the miraculous of Jesus, the things that he did, and people think you're crazy. You talk about the resurrection. You talk about the resurrection, and they'll dismiss you out of hand. People are always wanting proof, always wanting more. Crowd asks for a sign. Verse 31, listen. Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. It is writ- as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven. So now they're giving Jesus an idea of the sign that he should give them. Now, in their defense, that's fair. The Jews understood that when the Messiah would come back, there would be this miraculous sign of manna. You remember the story. It's back in the book of Exodus. You've got Moses, who leads the people of Israel out of Egypt, parting of the Red Sea, Ten Commandments, Mount Sinai, wandering in the wilderness, manna from heaven. There's this miracle that comes. The miracle, the manna from heaven, is a sign of of who Moses is and God's hand upon Moses' life. And so they're referring back to this account, this incident that took place in their history thousands of years beforehand. We don't know what the manna was. The word manna literally means, what is it? But Exodus 16, verse 14, tells us that it was a fine flake like frost on the ground. Every morning, except for the Sabbath, the Israelites would get up and they would go collect manna for each day. So the Jews come to Jesus and they remind Jesus of this account, this uh, historical incident that took place thousands of years before. And, And in their mind and in their way of thinking and their understanding, they're looking for something like this to happen again today because that's what they believe the Messiah will do. They're saying, show us the manna. Show us the manna that we might believe. Well... They set Jesus up. Jesus understands the scriptures far better than they do. So in asking for another sign, what they do is they set Jesus up for the big reveal. Verse 32, Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the bread from he- true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives, where there, there it is, life to the world. And they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. I am the bread of life. There's actually a lot going on here in this passage, but for the sake of time, I'm just going to get down to that little statement, I am. And you've probably already looked at it, and you probably already understand it, but just as a way of reminder, we know what happens and where this statement is referring to and what it's referring back to. And Jesus is taking them back to the same history that they've just quoted him. He's taking them back to Exodus chapter 3, where Moses 
who is the shepherd that will lead them out of Egypt. He's out in the desert tending his father-in-law's flock. And he has an encounter with a burning bush. And in the burning bush, God tells Moses to go and take the people of Israel and to lead them out, to lead them from slavery, lead them into freedom, lead them into life, lead them to the promised land. And Moses, he says to to God, the people, they're going to want to know by what authority I am supposed to be doing this. Who do I tell them sent me? And God says to Moses, I am who I am is my name. I am. Jesus, in our passage and in these great I am statements, make no mistake. He knows exactly what he's doing. He is claiming his divinity right here and right now. He says, I am. I am the bread of life. I am what you are looking for. I am the manna. I am the sign. This very sign that you want, it's me. He's the bread of life. And I'm not going to go over all of the different I am statements, but he is the light of the world. He is the door of the sheep. He is the good shepherd. He is the resurrection and the life. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. He is the true vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in him and he abides in them, we will bear much fruit. This is who Jesus is. And here's the thing. Brothers and sisters, you've got to decide. What do you believe about Jesus? Who do you believe he is? There are a lot of people today seeking Jesus, seeking God. And Jesus say, is saying, I am God. You want to know God? You want life? Jesus is life. He's the life. There's no other way to God. Our sin and our rebellion against God have separated us from him. The penalty for sin, the penalty for rebellion, it's death. God is a righteous and holy God. He's also a loving God. So he sent his son. Jesus says it right here in our passage. This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Jesus coming to earth, he lived the life that you and I were supposed to live, that you and I were meant to to live, but we didn't. He died the death for our sins that we were supposed to die, and now we don't have to die. He died, did all of this, so that you and I, we can know the Father. We, we can know God. And this relationship that God intended from the beginning of time and that which we broke when we rebelled against him, this relationship is restored. And Jesus, he rose from the grave to life for life that is available to us if we will believe. If we will believe. So who do you say Jesus is? Who do you say Jesus is? I'm going to do something. Brian didn't know I was going to do this. Nobody knew I was going to do this. 
I'm going to invite my wife and our two daughters to come up here. We've got two of our daughters with us. And we're going to do this. This morning, if you're wanting life, you're seeking life, and there's stuff that's going on in your lives, in your hearts, I'm just going to invite you to come up, and we want to pray for you. We want to pray over you. Um, we want God to speak into your life and just to reveal things to you about what he's doing and who you are and who he's calling you to be. So I'm going to invite you guys to come on up. You can play music. No pressure. But come. You want life? Come. Jesus invites you. Come. You want to come on up? So this is my wife, Diane. You may have seen her before. This is our oldest daughter, Alexa. This is our bonus daughter, Lindsay. We have, a bon- we have two bonus daughters in our family. And so we would just we'd love to pray for you as, as we're just worshiping. What's God doing in your life? Where are those areas that maybe we could pray over for you? Where does he want to take you deeper with himself? Is there any area of your life that you're longing? There's a longing and an emptiness. Or maybe God's preparing you and preparing your heart for something greater. Something that he wants to to do in you and to be doing through you. And he wants to take you to a deeper place with him. A place of fullness. They're going to invite you to stand and we just sing. We're here. We're going to go into a time of communion in a moment. But truthfully, now is the time to commune with God. Now is the time to hear from God.